Open to Revelation chapter 5, if you would. The Apostle John is in the middle of an experience that we can hardly imagine. The Lord Jesus Himself has opened a doorway to heaven and has asked John to come up and join Him in heaven so that John can see things. And there He stands, gazing at the throne of God. The throne of God is is described all through Revelation chapter 4, what we studied last week. Just radiant and splendor. Colors and beauty and honor. And then right around the throne, even in the midst of the throne, are these four living creatures. Sort of exalted beings of angelic type beings. Cherubim and seraphim. And then around them, the next kind of circle out, 24 thrones with 24 elders on those thrones. Kind of representatives of the new humanity of God's people around the throne worshiping. And they are singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with His glory. Heaven is full of the glory of God. The Almighty is on His throne and heaven praises Him for it. But what of earth? There's a difference between heaven and earth. Now, if you were here last week, you know, we talked about the fact that God is on the throne and and even on earth, God is in fact on the throne and He can take even evil and use it for good. Amen and praise God for that. But it would be nice if evil could just be abolished. It would be nice if His kingdom would come and His will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. That would be nice. That would be wonderful. John, as he stands there and sees heaven, he he was taught from the lips of Jesus to pray the Lord's Prayer. To pray that very Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And now John sees heaven and he goes, Woo! Yeah, the will of God is done in heaven. And the kingdom of God exists on heaven. What about earth? Is heaven going to be forever sealed off from earth? Such that the, the will of God is kind of mediated through using even evil and wicked and sad and terrible things here on earth? Or is a day coming when, when, when the kingdom comes and His will is done on earth like it was in heaven? And if so, how is that going to happen? What, what's going to bring that about? I guess the question, is there a good ending to the story for humanity? Heaven's awesome. Is there, is there a good ending for earth? Is there, is there a good ending for, for God's people? Because for a long time, earth has, 
has existed under the tyranny of Satan. Under satanic influence and power. And as we get through the book of Revelation, it's going to be pictured as, as beasts and prostitutes and all kinds of things are in charge down here. Is there going to be a good ending to this? How's God going to bring that about? Well, that he begins to answer in Revelation chapter 5. This is our second chapter where we're, we're talking about the throne room of the living God. So for these two chapters, I think it's appropriate that we stand as we read about our living God. So let's stand together that we may attempt to give some degree of honor to Him who sits on the throne. Then, I saw in the right hand of Him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. One of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns, with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to Him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. Which, Lord, we do right now. We worship You. And though we were not here to see this, we pray by the power of Your Holy Spirit, 
You would open our eyes to behold you this morning and so be changed in your presence. We ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. Man, you can be seated. John sees something new. In, in chapter 4, he had been seeing the throne room of God and the 24 elders and the living creatures and all of these things. But now, he sees something he hadn't seen before. It's a scroll. It's a scroll. You know, like before they had books, right? Wound up paper. Probably wasn't paper, but whatever. You know, vellum or whatever they use. A, 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 a scroll. And it is in God's hand. So it's, it's God's scroll. It's, it's His decrees. It's what He has decided. And it's in His right hand. Power and authority in His hand. And this scroll, it says, is written on the inside and the outside, which was unusual for them. Typically, when you had a scroll, you unroll it, and it's written on the front, but not the back of the scroll. This is written on both sides. There's a lot in here. This is the fullness of God's decrees in God's right hand. And it's sealed. So picture a little, kind of like a thread of some sort, maybe a scarlet cord, and wrap that around the scroll and tie it. And then imprint a wax seal over the ends of that string. And now do that seven times up and down the length of that scroll. That scroll may not be opened without breaking the seals that sealed it. In other words, that scroll can't be opened without the authority of the one who, who sealed it. So here is the plan of God in God's right hand. And it is sealed not once, not twice, but seven times. Seven in in Revelation, is the number of completion. It is completely sealed. It is totally sealed. And a loud angel, a mighty angel, calls out with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to break its seals? He calls out loudly across heaven. And all of heaven hears the question. And all of the earth hears the question as well. Four living creatures. The 24 elders. 10,000 times 10,000 angels. They all hear. Humanity gathered at the throne. They hear. Who is worthy? Silence. Silence. No answer. Silence and then the silence is broken. By weeping. John begins to weep. He's not sniffling. He's wailing. Verse 4. And I began to weep loudly. Because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. It, it makes me think um, maybe of a Middle Eastern funeral. Have you, have you observed one of these? Where all the ladies just are crying out the top of their voice in mourning and in grief. You can't hear that sound without knowing that's the sound of grief. 
John is weeping loudly in the throne room. And, and maybe we kind of go, what's your problem, John? Like, dude, you just saw this scroll for the first time. What, why are you bellyaching so much? Now listen, John hasn't yet revealed for us what's in this scroll. That's going to take some time through the book of Revelation to get to understand what's actually in the scroll. But we can take as a cue the fact that the Apostle John begins to weep. He understands something already that we don't. This scroll is massively significant. We might call it the scroll of destiny. This is God's plan for the universe. This is the answer in God's right hand, right? Here's the answer to the prayer that's been prayed many times. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And God has written out how He will make that happen. How will that be answered? How will His kingdom come? How will His will be done on earth as it is in heaven? It's right there in the scroll. And guess what? It's shut. And no one can open it. It's like all of God's good decrees for the world are imprisoned behind this seal. And no one is found that can open it. Where are you going to go? If, if in the throne room of God, there's nobody found there worthy to open the scroll, we're in trouble. This is the worst news anyone's ever heard. And I don't say that lightly. People have heard some horrible news. But this is the worst news anyone's heard because this affects everyone. The good plans of God, the good ending for the story, will be locked up forever for all of us. All for all time. And John weeps. I guess his kingdom won't come and his will won't be done on earth as it is in heaven. But then, one of the 24 elders comes over to John in verse 5. One of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. Good news! There's someone worthy to open this scroll. This is, it's hard for us to get our heads around. This is the best news. This is the good ending that we're all praying for and desirous of. And there's one found worthy and he's described as the lion of the tribe of Judah. This is an old prophecy. Jacob had made a prophecy back when he was alive over his sons. And over Judah, he had said, Judah, you're like a lion's cub. And the scepter will never depart from you. Well, the lion's cub has grown up. And now there's the lion that has come from Judah's tribe. And yeah, the scepter hasn't departed from him. The lion is the, the ruling animal among the beasts. We're supposed to think ferocity and power and unstoppable strength. If there were a kind of uh, animal Olympics, that'd be an interesting thing to watch. 
And sports betting has become a thing lately. If you, have your, if you have the opportunity to bet on the Animal Olympics and a lion is involved, bet on the lion, right? Even if it's not about ferocity, it's about speed, don't worry, the lion's going to win. First, he'll eat the other guy, and then he'll get across the finish line. The lion is going to win, right? It's a picture of ferocity, and that's, that's who this elder says. There's a lion from the tribe of Judah. Terrible and conquering. And he has conquered. And he's worthy. But then he's also described as the root of David. So David was the prototypical king in Israel. And God had promised him that there would be one on his throne forever. So here comes one of the line of David to sit on David's throne. He's the king. John does not waste words in Revelation. Let me tell you what. You know, if, if David is a tree, right, and then, and then coming off the tree is, is David's descendant, then you would expect this to say that the branch from David has come. But it doesn't say that. It says the root of David. So, Jesus is of the line of David. He receives David's throne. He's, he's inheriting that. But he's also David's source. He's the root of David. Anything kingly that David had came from Christ. Christ is both before and after David. Here he is. The lion of the tribe of Judah. The root of David. He has conquered so he can open the scroll and his seven seals. And I don't know what you would picture when you think of conquering. And we, we want to be delicate with it. But if you think of a lion having just conquered, there, there's, a, there's a ferocity to that picture. A king having just conquered, there's a ferocity to that picture as well. And so far, all we have is the elder's description to John of who's worthy. Right? This elder's telling John. He's the lion. He's the root of David. But now, John turns in verse 6. Now he looks to see. Really? Let's see who this is. Verse 6. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. Seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Surely this is the opposite of what John was expecting to see. Lion. King. Bearing on themselves the marks of having conquered. Lamb. Bearing on himself the marks of having been conquered. From the greatest beast to the weakest. From the conquering to the conquered. And there stands the lamb. Now we know the theology behind this. Most of us know the theology behind this. We know that, that Jesus is the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I don't want to miss the shocking nature of what's happening here. Between the difference between what John just heard and then what he turns and sees. Because John is perceiving a very deep reality about Jesus in this. 
and we're going to get to it, but, but the text doesn't let us get to it quite right away because it keeps moving so quickly. Before we can even absorb one thing, we see, okay, it's a lamb, but then it gets stranger with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the world. I'm grateful, and you should be too, that Revelation interprets itself right here. Seven horns and seven eyes, these are the seven spirits of God sent into all the world. Remember, the number seven is the number of fullness, right? And so when we're talking about the seven spirits of God, this is the Holy Spirit sent out into all the world, sent out to the seven churches, that is to all the churches. So the Holy Spirit can be in every church at the same time. In fact, right now, friends, as we perhaps perceive something of Christ through these words, it is because the Spirit has been sent out to enable us to perceive something of Jesus through a book that takes the Spirit. Praise God for the Spirit sent out into all the earth. The Spirit is pictured as seven horns and seven eyes. So horns kind of like on a ram would be the symbol of its power. You know there's rams that like hit up against each other, right? This is the picture of, of power and strength and seven eyes is the, is the, the picture of vision and sight. So this is the Holy Spirit, omniscient, knowing everything, sees everything, and all-powerful at the same time. This is a divine description of the Spirit of God. Powerful and able to help the church. And, and who has the Spirit here? It's Jesus. Jesus is the one who's sending the Spirit out into all the world. So we have a kind of in apocalyptic literature and in symbols, we have a picture of the Trinity. The one on the throne. The Father. The Lamb before the throne. The Son. The seven spirits of God. The Holy Spirit. Then the Son steps forward. Verse 7. And He went and took the scroll from the right hand of Him who was seated on the throne. He takes the scroll. Soon, he's going to open the seals. Soon, he'll, he'll, he'll then open the scroll, scroll. He'll reveal the contents of the scroll, and then he'll begin to, to manifest those, those contents in history. He'll begin to do all that was written by God to do. But, but before we get there, like there's this great stoppage point here. We're going to see in chapter 6, the seals will start to get broken, but... We're a ways from chapter 6 at this point. And before he can do anything, before he can take another step or break a single seal, he just simply lifts the scroll from the Father's hand and places it into his own. And heaven bursts forth in praise. Yes, hallelujah! Somebody could take that scroll. And he's going to be able to open that scroll? Like heaven, heaven knows, oh, from here on out, it's just a matter of time. It's going to happen now. We've got one worthy to do this, that he's going to do it. He's going to do it all the way to the end. We don't even need to see the end. The end's coming, and it's going to be good because he's holding that scroll. This is wonderful news. So heaven just begins to praise Jesus. 
And that's the rest of the chapter. Praise upon praise upon praise. Begins with the four living creatures and the 24 elders that are the closest ones around the throne. And they fall down before the Lamb. And they say in verse 9, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you've made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Now, friends, who is the one receiving praise here? The one receiving praise is Jesus, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David, the Lamb who was slain. He's the one receiving the praise of heaven. And this is remarkable. Because God believes in monotheism. And all of heaven had spent all of chapter 4 worshiping the one on the throne. Worshiping God as creator and ruler. And now heaven turns and begins to worship the Lamb. Why do Christians worship Jesus with the praise due only to God? Because heaven worships Jesus with the praise due only to God. In chapter 4, it was God, creator and ruler. And now in chapter 5, we have Jesus, redeemer and savior. Verse 9 again. Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain. And by your blood you ransomed people for God. This is a new song, it says in verse 9. They sang a new song, saying these things. It's new as compared to the song in chapter 4. Back in chapter 4, they were praising God for being creator. Do you know how long that song had been going? Since creation, right? That song and they weren't tired of it. They were giving glory and honor to God as the creator and the ruler of all things. But now, unexpectedly, a new song in heaven, something new to give praise about, that is mind-blowing. God cannot be improved. How can there be something new to praise God about? But there's a new song because there's a new reason to praise. What's the new reason to praise? Jesus died on the cross. That's the new reason to praise. He died on the cross. He was slain and He ransomed people through His death for God from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. So why does heaven worship Jesus? Because of the cross. Why is He worthy to open the scroll? Because of His work on the cross. The praises of heaven just begin to crescendo louder and louder and louder and all to this one, to this lamb, particularly this lamb who was slain. And it begins at the, the nearest circle around the throne, the four creatures and the 24 elders, but now it, it's like a ripple. It just out through heaven. And we get from them to the angels that are around them in verse 11. I looked and I heard around the throne, around the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands 
saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. It's the song of the angels. 10,000 times 10,000. Innumerable angels around the throne. And, and what is the subject of their praise? Once again, it's the Lamb. And I want to I say specifically, it's not directed to Jesus as the lion. It's not directed to Jesus as the root of David. It is directed to Jesus specifically as the lamb who was slain. That's why heaven is worshiping him. They, the angels worship Jesus because he died for sinful men. And the angels are on the outside of this equation. He didn't die for the angels. But heaven is in awe. I would say speechless, but they're clearly not speechless. But they're in awe that the lion and the king would make himself a lamb and suffer and die for his people. And so they cry out over and over, worthy is the lamb who was slain. You are worthy to receive power and wealth, wisdom and might, honor, glory and blessing. Friend, just a brief note on the side here about our church, about our times of worship together. When we gather weekly to worship the Lord as a church, um, you know, we, we love to come together and, and hear God's word. But boy, our times of singing are precious. Getting to lift our voices to the Lord and just say, we want to sing like right here. This is what we want to do. We, we, we want to model our worship service after that worship service. That's the worship service. And, you know, we come in, and you ever come in, and it's like kind of hard to get your heart there? You know? Maybe it's been a rough week, whatever. You're just kind of, ugh. And maybe by the end of the service, like, okay. Like, right at the end, I'm ready to worship now. You know? Like, we have to start worshiping. But the thing is, we, when we gather, we're just joining this song. This song's already happening. It's been going on. Heaven is exuberant. We get to raise our tiny little voice from earth and join this heavenly song. And our goal here is to have a distinct flavor to that worship. A distinct flavor, a distinct focus. Why? Why do we want a distinct flavor and a distinct focus? Because the worship of heaven has a distinct flavor and a distinct focus. And that flavor, that focus is Jesus Christ. That focus is, is the fact that He died for sinners. Heaven worships Jesus because of the gospel. So we're going to worship Jesus because of the gospel. Week after week, day after day, joining into that wonderful song. I told the guys this morning, this is a hard one. I feel like... I feel like a helium balloon that just kind of goes up and just bounces along on the ceiling. Like this passage is just so good. Just kind of, whoo, goes way up and just stays up the whole time. Glory to God. We get to talk about such things as this. Okay, so we've gotten through the first two rounds of worship. It began at the, the inner circle and then 
All the angels are around it. And now in verse 13, we see that that ripple expands through all of creation. Imagine John trying to say everything. All of creation worshiping Jesus. He, he seems to almost stumble over his words to make it clear. Everything is worshiping Jesus. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and in the sea, and all that is in them, saying, to him who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. All creation rises to sing. And now, this verse is kind of the ending of chapter 5 and chapter 4, pulling all of this together, because now this song is to both. To the one on the throne and to the Lamb. They're singing to both, for both are worthy praise. So, very soon we will get to the opening of the seals. That's next week. That's chapter six. We're right there now. Soon we're going to get to see what happens as the seals are broken, and then after that, what's in the scroll itself. Heaven has paused, and so we should too. Heaven has paused to focus on the one who's simply standing there with the scroll in his hand. And they're falling down to worship. So let's consider him one more time before we move on. Remember how he was described back up in verse 5? When the elder came up to John and said, Weep no more, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has conquered. He can open the scroll and its seven seals. This picture of, of a conquering, powerful king. But then John turns, and what does he see? Is not that picture. He turns and sees this lamb as though it had been slain. Now, we may think that these are two sides of Jesus. right? The lion and the lamb. The tough and the tender. And Yes, I think that's true, but I think it misses what John is trying to, to communicate here. It misses a deeper picture of Jesus. It's not that Jesus is kind of half conquering lion and half slain lamb. It is rather, Jesus is the conquering lion by means of being the slain lamb. How does he conquer by dying. How does he have victory? By being defeated. How is his kingship expressed? By being a servant. How, is his, how does his lion roar? By being a slain lamb. In Jesus Christ, lion and lamb are not opposites. Lamb is the way in which he is lion. And remarkably, it works. Remarkably, he actually conquered through his work on the cross. He, he, he conquered his enemies. He freed his people through becoming a lamb on their behalf. Listen, never in all of history has such a thing been seen as this. Never in all the history of, of humankind and 
you know, kingdoms and powerful men or rich men. Never has a king become a servant. Never has a rich man cared for his people unto his own poverty. Never has a lion won by losing. Never. But here, heaven stands in awe of him. For here is something new. And a new song it takes to give him glory for it. Here is one who conquers at his own expense. Who conquers his enemies by dying for his people. Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seal? There is only one. Who is worthy of the praise of heaven? There's only this one. Who is worthy of the praise of the church? There's only this one. He is worthy. The lion who is the lamb. Worthy is he. And so, this morning, the call of this passage to us is simply to join this song. That's the, that's the call. And, and we're going to do that here in a minute. We're going to raise our voices to, to worship the Lord together in song. But it's not, it's not a song that's all about singing. That's a great way we get to, to do it. This, this is a song that we walk out of here with that, that should impact how we're thinking, how we're, how we're speaking to others, how we're, how we're walking out and, and living our lives, that our lives walk out the worship to this one because he is worthy of it and he alone is worthy of this worship. So, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Worship team, come on up. Let's stand together. Jesus, you are worthy of heaven's praise. You are worthy of our praise. And we gladly offer it now. Would you send afresh once more your Holy Spirit to enable us to worship you as we ought. In your name we pray. Amen.